Chapter Four of Our Vanishing Wildlife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Our Vanishing Wildlife by William T. Hornaday. Chapter Four: Extinct and Nearly Extinct Species of Mammals. When we pause and consider the years the generations and the ages that nature spends in the production of a high vertebrate species, the preservation of such species from extermination should seriously concern us. As a matter of fact, in modern man's wild chase after wealth and pleasure, it is only one person out of every ten thousand who pauses to regard such causes, unless cornered by some protectionist fanatic, held fast and coerced to listen. We are not discussing the animals of the Pleistocene or the Eocene, or any period of the far distant past. We are dealing with species that have been ruthlessly, needlessly, and wickedly destroyed by man during our own times, species that, had they been given a fair chance, would be alive and well today. In reckless waste of blood and treasure, the nineteenth century has much for which to answer. Wars and pillage, fires, earthquakes, and volcanoes are unhappily unavoidable. Like the poor of holy writ, we have them with us always." but the destruction of animal life is in a totally different category from the accidental calamities of life. It is deliberate, cold-blooded, persistent, and in its final stage, criminal. Worst of all, there is no limit to the devilish persistence of the confirmed destroyer, this side of the total extinction of species. No polar night is too cold, no desert inferno is too hot for the man who pursues wildlife for commercial purposes. The retina has been exterminated in the far north, the elephant seals on Kerguelen are being exterminated in the far south, and midway, in the desert mountains of Lower California, a fine species of mountain sheep is rapidly being shot into oblivion. Large Mammals Completely Exterminated The Arizona Elk Cervus Merianum Right at our very door, under our very noses, and as it were only yesterday, a well-defined species of American elk has been totally exterminated. Until recently, the mountains of Arizona and New Mexico were inhabited by a light-colored elk of smaller size than the Wyoming species, whose antlers possessed on each side only one brow tine instead of two. The exact history of the blotting out of that species has not yet been written, but it seems that its final extinction occurred about 1901. Its extermination was only a routine incident of the devilish general slaughter of American big game that by 1900 had wiped out nearly everything killable over a large range of the Rocky Mountain region and the Great Plains. The Arizona elk was exterminated before the separate standing of the species had been discovered by naturalists, and before even one skin had been preserved in a museum. In 1902, Mr. E. W. Nelson described the species from two male skulls, all the material of which he knew. Since that time, a third male skull, bearing an excellent pair of antlers, has been discovered by Mr. Ferdinand Kegeben, a member of the New York Zoological Society, and presented to our National Collection of Heads and Horns. It came from the Santa Catalina Mountains, Arizona, in 1884. The species was first exterminated in the central and northern mountains of Arizona, probably twenty years ago, and made its last stand in northwestern New Mexico. Precisely when it became extinct there, its last abiding place, we do not know, but in time the facts may appear. The Quagga, Equus Quagga. Before the days of Livingstone, Gordon Cumming, and Anderson, the grassy plains and half-forested hills of South Africa 
were inhabited by great herds of a wild equine species that in its markings was a sort of connecting link between the striped zebras and the stripeless wild asses. The quagra resembled a wild ass with a few zebra stripes around its neck and no stripes elsewhere. There is no good reason why a mammal that is not in any one of the families regularly eaten by man should be classed as a game animal. White men, outside of the western border of the continent of Europe, do not eat horses, and by this token there is no reason why a zebra should be shot as a game animal, any more than a baboon. A big male baboon is dangerous, a male zebra is not. Nevertheless, white men have elected to shoot zebras as game, and under this curse the unfortunate quagra fell to rise no more. The species was shot to a speedy death by sportsmen, and by the British and Dutch farmers of South Africa. It became extinct about 1875, and today there are only 18 specimens in all the museums of the world. The Blaubok, Hippotragus leucophaeus. The first of the African antelopes to become extinct in modern times was a species of large size, closely related to the roan antelope of today, and named by the early Dutch settlers of Cape Colony the Blaubok, which means blue buck. It was snuffed out of existence in the year 1800, so quickly and so thoroughly that, like the Arizona elk, it very nearly escaped the annals of natural history. According to the careful investigations of Mr. Graham Renshaw, there are only eight specimens in existence in all the museums of Europe. In general terms, it may be stated that this species has been extinct for about a century. David's Deer, Elephurus davidianus. We enter this species with those that are totally extinct, because this is true of it so far as its wild state is concerned. It is a deer nearly as large as the red deer of Europe, with three tined antlers about equal in total length to those of the red deer. Its most striking differential character is its long tail, a feature that among the deer of the world is quite unique. Originally this species inhabited northern Mongolia, China, but in a wild state it became extinct before its zoological standing became known to the scientific world. The species was called to the attention of zoologists by a Roman Catholic missionary called Father David, and when finally described it was named in his honor. At the outbreak of the Boxer Rebellion in 1900, there were about 200 specimens living in the Imperial Park of China, a short distance south of Peking. But during the rebellion all of them were killed and eaten, thus totally exterminating the species from Asia. Fortunately, previous to that calamity, in 1894, the Duke of Bedford had by considerable effort and expenditure procured and established in his matchless park surrounding Woburn Abbey, England, a herd of eighteen specimens of this rarest of all deer. That nucleus has thriven and increased, until in 1910 it contained thirty-four head. Owing to the fact that all the living female specimens of this remarkable species are concentrated in one spot, and perfectly liable to be wiped out in one year by riot, war, or disease, there is some cause for anxiety. The writer has gone so far as to suggest the desirability of starting a new herd of David's deer, at some point far distant from England, as an insurance measure against the possibility of calamity at Woburn. Excepting two or three specimens in European zoological gardens that have been favored by the Duke of Bedford, there are no living specimens outside of Woburn Park. The Rotina Rotina gigas The most northerly Cyrenian that, so far as we know, ever inhabited the earth, lived on the Commander Islands in the northern end of Bering Sea, and was exterminated by man for its oil and its flesh about 1768. 
It was first made known to the world by Steller in 1741, and must have become extinct near the beginning of the 19th century. The retina belonged to the same mammalian order as the manatee of Florida and South America, and the dugong of Australia. The largest manatee that Florida has produced, so far as we know, was 13 feet long. The retina attained a length of between 30 and 35 feet, and a weight of 6,000 pounds or over. The flesh of this animal, like that of the manatee and dugong, must have been edible, and surely was prized by the hungry sailors and natives of its time. It is not strange that such a species was quickly exterminated by man in the Arctic regions. The wonder is that it ever existed at a latitude so outrageous for a Serenian, an animal which by all precedents would prefer life in temperate or warm waters. Burchell's Zebra, Equus Burchelli Typicus the foundation type of what is now the Burchell group of zebras, consisting of four or five subspecies of the original species of Burchelli, is an animal abundantly striped as to its body, neck, and head, but with legs that are almost white and free from stripes. The subspecies have legs that are striped about half as much as the mountain zebra and the grevy species. While there are Chapman zebras and Grant zebras in plenty, and of crochets not a few, all these are forms that have developed northward of the range of the parent species, the original Equus burchelli. For half a century in South Africa, the latter had been harried and driven and shot, and now it is gone forever. Now the museum people of the world are hungrily enumerating their mounted specimens, and live ones cannot be procured with money, because there are none. Already it is common talk that the true burchell zebra is extinct, and unfortunately there is no good reason to doubt it. Even if there are few now living in some remote nook of Transvaal or Zululand or Portuguese East Africa, the chances are as a hundred to one that they will not be suffered to bring back the species, and so, to Burchell Zebra, the world is today saying farewell. The Thylacine or Tasmanian Wolf Thylacinus Cyencephalus Four years ago, when Mr. W. H. D. Le Souf, director of the Melbourne Zoological Garden, Australia, stood before the cage of the living thylacine in the New York Zoological Park, he first expressed surprise at the sight of the animal, then said, I advise you to take excellent care of that specimen, for when it is gone you will never get another. The species will soon be extinct. This opinion has been supported, quite independently, by a lady who is the highest authority on the present status of that species, Mrs. Mary G. Roberts of Hobart, Tasmania. For nearly ten years Mrs. Roberts has been procuring all the living specimens of the thylacine that money could buy, and attempting to breed them at her private zoo. She states that the mountain home of this animal is now occupied by flocks of sheep, and because of the fact that the Tasmanian wolves raid the flocks and kill lambs, the sheep owners and herders are systematically poisoning the thylacines as fast as possible. Inasmuch as the species is limited to Tasmania, Mrs. Roberts and others fear that the sheepmen will totally exterminate the remnant at an early date. This animal is the largest, and also the most interesting carnivorous marsupial of Australia, and its untimely end will be a cause for sincere regret. The West Indian Seal Monicus tropicalis For at least fifty years, all the zoologists who ever had heard of this species believed that the oil hunters had completely exterminated it. In 1885, when the National Museum came into possession of one poorly mounted skin, from Professor Poey of Havana, it was regarded as a great prize. 
Most unexpectedly, in 1886, American zoologists were startled by the discovery of a small herd on the Triangle Islands in the Caribbean Sea near Yucatan by Mr. Henry L. Ward, now director of the Milwaukee Public Museum, and Professor Ferrari of the National Museum of Mexico. They found about twenty specimens, and collected only a sufficient number to establish the true character of the species. Since that time, four living specimens have been captured and sent to the New York Aquarium, where they lived for satisfactory periods. The indoor life and atmosphere did not seem to injure the natural vitality of the animals. In fact, I think they were far more lively in the aquarium than were the sluggish creatures that Mr. Ward saw on the Triangle Reefs and described in his report of the expedition. It is quite possible that there are yet alive a few specimens of this odd species, but the Damocletian sword of destruction hangs over them suspended by a fine hair, and it is to be expected that in the future some roving sea adventurer will pounce upon the remnant and wipe it out of existence for whatever reason may to him seem good. The California Elephant Seal Marunga angustirostris. This remarkable, long-snouted species of seal was reluctantly stricken from the fauna of the United States several years ago, and for at least fifteen years it has been regarded as totally extinct. Last year, however, 1911, the Albatross Scientific Expedition, under the control of Director C. H. Townsend of the New York Aquarium, visited Guadalupe Island, 175 miles off the Pacific coast of Lower California, and there found about 150 living elephant seals. They took six living specimens, all of which died after a few months in captivity. Ever since that time, first one person and then another, comes to the front with a cheerful proposition to go to those islands and clean up the remainder of those wonderful seals. One hunting party could land on Guadalupe, and in one week totally destroy the last remnant of this almost extinct species. Today, the only question is, who will be mean enough to do it? Fortunately, those seals have no commercial value whatsoever. The little oil they would yield would not pay the wages of a cook's mate. The proven impossibility of keeping specimens alive in captivity, even for one year, and the absence of cash value in the skins, even for museum purposes, has left nothing of value in the animals to justify an expedition to kill or to capture them. No zoological garden or park desires any of them, at any price. Adult males attain a length of sixteen feet, and females eleven feet. Formerly this species was abundant in San Cristobal Bay, Lower California. At present, Mexico is in no frame of mind to provide real protection to a small colony of seals of no commercial value, 175 miles from her mainland, on an uninhabited island. It is wildly improbable that those seals will be permitted to live. It is a safe prediction that our next news of the elephant seals of Guadalupe will tell of the total extinction of those last 140 survivors of the species. The California Grizzly Bear Ursus Horribilis californicus No one protects grizzly bears, except in the Yellowstone Park and other game preserves. For obvious reasons, it is impossible to say whether any individuals of this huge species now remain alive, or how long it will be until the last one falls before a 405 Winchester engine of extermination. We know that a living specimen cannot be procured with money, and we believe that the old monarch, now in Golden Gate Park, San Francisco, is the last specimen of his species that will ever be exhibited alive. I can think of no reason, save general California apathy, why the extinction of this huge and remarkable animal was not prevented by law. 
The sunset grizzly, on a railroad track, is the advertising emblem of the Golden State, and surely the State should take sufficient interest in the species to prevent its total extermination. But it will not. California is hell-bent on exterminating a long list of her wildlife species, and it is very doubtful whether the masses can be reached and aroused in time to stop it. Name some of the species? Certainly, with all the pleasure in life. The band-tailed pigeon, the white-tailed kite, the sharp-tailed grouse, the sage-grouse, the mountain sheep, prong-horned antelope, California mule-deer, and ducks and geese too numerous to mention. End of chapter 4